Right, so part two of uh, our interviews with, with Lee Camp, uh, the first one. I knew it was going to be successful, but I didn't think it'd be quite as successful as it was. Uh, number eight on the UK, the Apple UK chart, and 163 for the week globally. We got an email yesterday to say that, so incredible, really. And and Camp is joining us again, so thanks for coming back and doing another bit with us, Lee. No, you're, you're welcome, mate. I'm, I'm pleased to be back. I, like I said at the... Um the end of the first one i enjoyed it going back down memory lane and some nostalgic stuff we come across so um no I'm pleased to help and i'm glad that it it's done well for you yeah thank you very much and um is there anything from the first episode <clears throat> anything from the first episode you'd like to clear up i know there's a few bits that we we spoke about after yeah i got alan evans name wrong he was the manager at mcclara sports i said steve evans but that's thinking of the old rotherham manager um and it was Kev Towell and his lad was James Towell and uh, Alan, the manager, his lad played AD. So I got a few names mixed up, but that was about it, really. It was um, give them the credit they deserve. I didn't want to dename them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that, I know what you're saying. That's uh, it's very it's it's a mark of you that you you got your way to do that. So we've got that. We've got that covered today. I want to go a bit more probably be a bit more of a football one rather than a Derby one talk about the, the clubs you've been at because there's been there's been a few since Derby um, yeah there has <laughs> <laughs> almost a golf bag's worth I was just, I was just about to say more, <laughs> more clubs than Tiger Woods but um, yeah <laughs> um, I'll start I'm going to ask you like a few go down the road of asking you a few questions about just like the managers you've played under um, like players you've played with um, and, and things like that if, that if that's all right with you Campy of course yeah um, so from from Derby making your debut, that was you was under George Burley and yep. in that changing room. What what was that kind of the, going in as a as a pro, um, as a youngster, just just turning pro, going into that dressing room? What what was it like playing playing under George and, and the players you had around you? I thoroughly enjoyed playing under George. Um, I always thought he was really good at identifying talent and putting a team together. I thought. He could identify what people's strengths were, find a way of playing and um, getting the best out of everybody individually, but also making a, a good side which could defend and, and attack um, on a very limited, if, if any, budget whatsoever at the time he was at Derby. I think he brought Enigo Odiakas out of nowhere and everybody knows what a success he was. Same with Greg Rajek, he came in. Um, I think both on free transfers from, I know Anigo definitely came from Spain, I can't quite remember where uh, Gregor come from. Mm. Tommy Smith come in, which was an absolute bargain, a free transfer, and how well he did for the football club. Martin Bishgard come in on a free transfer. Um, and he also was able to bring in the younger pros, as well as some of the younger pros, which were a bit older than us, who had had experience to sort of gel us all together. Um, and I think probably not having the money to go out and buy players and having that pressure of recruiting a name or having to spend a couple of million pounds on a player because of that's kind of what's expected every summer to do that, to create a bit of interest or whatever it is. It's kept us a, a really tight-knit group uh, Luckily, we didn't have many injuries, which which also helped. 
but it kept us together, was able to find a way that sort of suited us playing with Inigo in front of the back four, playing with two midfielders, Ian Taylor, vast experience, Adam Boulder around him, or maybe playing with sort of a number 10, Tommy Smith or Morton, um, and mixing that midfield up a little bit, playing, you know, one in front of the back four or one behind the strike or playing two. So he, he managed to gel us into a, into a decent team that went on and finished fourth in, in, in my, my first year. Um, and I, th- I really enjoyed playing for George. I thought he was, he was very clever at, at what he did and um, probably a lot of factors worked for him. Yeah, and that was that the same season that you went to QPR on loan and, well, and they got promoted, didn't they? Was that the same year? No, that was the season before. That was the last part of the season before. Oh, okay, sorry. Which was like George's first full year, and then that was the next. I came back in the summer, and then the the season, the next season was what I was referring to. But even when George first came in as an interim manager, <clears throat> the squad was completely different then because it was. If my time, if my memory's right, I think it was George come in at the back end of the first year that Derby had come down from the Premier League, so there was still a lot of big hitters in the building, um, a lot of big names, big personalities. I think uh, Rava was still around at the time, Craig Burley, um, there was more. It was that period yeah. and he came in and he was able to salvage, keep the club up, get them well away from danger. Um, and then obviously he stayed on and then I think a lot of players left on at the end of their contracts which obviously reduced the wage bill. And that was when he started to put things together. And I think in that year that we're talking about, his first full year, I think he brought in Marco Rice. I think Noel Whelan came in on loan. I think that's when Michael Johnson came in. So he was able to pull probably a few rabbits out of the hat then, and he continued that throughout of his time. So he'd sort of put it into motions that year. And I'd, I'd been involved in and around the first team on the bench and things, and then thankfully... I managed to get out on loans QPR when Andy Oaks regained fitness, um, which was perfect timing. Again, it, we spoke last week about opportunity and timing. Things aligned. Andy Oaks literally came back to fitness as the time as QPR were looking for a goalkeeper and made a few inquiries. If QPR would have been a, a week, 10 days later, it might never have happened. Mm. And the, the, the story could be different, but... Again, luckily, Oaksy regained fitness. Um, he was able to then come back into the first team fold, which I would imagine he would have done anyway. I was pretty much aware that he would come back into the squad and I would, I would uh, drop off the bench. Um, but thankfully, uh, the, the fall was softened, the fact that I was able to come off the bench and away from the first team, but also then go out and get a handful of games at QPR, which I thought it was going to be. Um, well, straight away, it was literally Oaksy was back fit and I was out the door, which which was a well huge piece of luck on my behalf. Uh, and I think I played, ended up playing 12 games at the back end of that season and QPR got promoted and it was a, like, a, a great way to start. I mean, it, it was a brilliant experience. What's it like to go into, it? obviously, a successful dressing room at the, the, the top of League One and, and going for promotion? Um, what's it like going in like three quarters of the way through the season like, on loan and you've got to kind of hit that intensity of a team that's kind of top of the, like, going for promotion and you, you, it's difficult going in as a loan player, isn't it? So 
Yeah. Uh, do, do you find it difficult? Do you still feel part of the promotion? I mean, you're obviously a massive part of it, but you, you're going at the back end. It must be a difficult situation for you to walk into. Well, I've had, I've been involved and been around like four, is it four? Yeah, four promotions. If you count Cardiff, probably not as, as much, but so obviously the promotion at QPR, Bournemouth, the time at Derby. But I don't really feel as if like I contributed to, to the other three like I did with the QPR. I was playing at QPR mm. and I was involved and played in three or four at the back end of that season were, were big games for the football club. They needed to go up. They wanted to get promoted. They'd missed out the year before. So that's like the one in in the few that I've thankfully been involved in was where I felt like I was I was really involved and kind of part of the team and the squad. It, it was difficult. I, m- I remember it was a Thursday. Um, Oaksy had trained in the morning <clears throat> and I got a call probably just before sort of tea time on the after- in the afternoon saying, would you be interested in going to QPR? Ian Holloway has been on the phone or someone's been on the phone. I presume it was Ian Holloway. And um, I was a bit, yeah. In fact, it was actually George who called me and I said, well, I was going to come and see you at the start of next week and speak about maybe getting out on loan at some level to play some games. He's now Oaks, he's fit because the window was closing in March for the loans. So there was a little bit of a couple of weeks to try and source something, so to speak. So he just said that Ian Holloway is going to give you, a, you know, you go with my blessing. He thought it would be great for me to go out and get experience. He was under the impression at the time, as was I when I spoke to Holly later on in that evening, it would be for a couple of games. Chris Day, who was the regular number one, was injured. Nicky Culkin, who was the goal uh, number two there who, who played a few games had a nasty knee injury and that had flared up so he was out for the season so they were literally stuck they had nothing holly called me later that night and uh, he just said oh i've got one reservation about you and i was like okay he said do you know what it is and i went i'm not six foot four like your other two goalies and he went no i'm not bothered about that you've got no experience and i went it was a bit like a conversation I had with Jerry Summers. What do you say? I'm like, you're yeah. right. I've, I haven't got any experience. I was, you're dead right. I want to play. I'd love to come and play for you. You've got to do what's right for you. I'm willing and able. And he said, great. It was. I think it was between me and Richard Lee, who was at Watford at the time. And um, thankfully, he, he went with me. And I, I met them at Donington Services about half 11, 12 o'clock on the Friday dinner, got on the bus at the services, shook hands with everybody, sat down, and we went up to Leeds and trained at, um, I think it's Thorpe Arch where their training ground is near Weatherby. We stopped there, trained for an hour and a half, then got back on the on the bus and went up to Hartlepool and played at Hartlepool the next day. So it was intimidating because they was all senior pros. There wasn't many young lads. I think I ended up striking up a friendship who I'm still friends with today, with Marcus Bean, um, mm. who is maybe a year younger than me. He was a young professional who was involved and played. <clears throat> and I think he was the only one. And I think the rest were hardened seed and professionals. Kev Gallin, Martin Rowlands, uh, Gaz Ainsworth, the rock star, Clark Carlisle, Steve Palmer, um, 
Marcus Bignett hadn't come back to the club at the time, but I think he came back a couple of weeks later. Uh, Gino Paldini, uh, oh God, not Paladini, that Gianni was the owner. Um, anyway, Gino left back with a long rock star hair. Paul Furlan, fantastic. And they were brilliant with me. They made me feel comfortable. They didn't like look at me as just, oh, who's this kid rocked up from whatever. They were fantastic with me and I hit the ground running. And thankfully, as I said, it was only going to be originally for, I think, four games, three or four games. Um, they sort of needed somebody to tide over. And thankfully, I, I went in, did OK, and ended up staying in the side till the end of the year, which was great and fantastic. The QPR fans have always been brilliant whenever I've been back. And it, it, that was a real great time, like as good as memories I've had playing first team football. It was it was really special. And it was down to the changing room because it was a quality changing room and a quality staff like Kenny Jackett was the assistant manager um, and obviously everyone knows how, what a career Kenny's had as a manager mm. Tony Roberts was um, the goalie coach he was brilliant with me but all the backroom staff Kat the kit man Prav the fit, brilliant people brilliant brilliant club and um, I couldn't be any more thankful for how they looked after me what was Ian Holloway like to play under? Because he's bonkers. He's, he's I was about to say he's known for like his his, his one liners, and, and I know he's he's no, meant to be a bit mad in the changing room. Like, is he is he really like that when you're in the changing room? Bonkers, bonkers. <laughs> he's but he's brilliant. I love him. I love him. I absolutely love him to bits. Whenever I see him, it's just like you shake hands, you have a hug. He just puts a smile on your face. Like however, like when I was at Rotherham, got my knee injury. I knew there was something serious. I thought this is going to be a bit tricky. We we played QPR maybe two weeks later and, and he just got the job back. So I was in the tunnel. I was feeling, you know, a bit down thinking, as you do when you're injured, you want to be playing, you're not playing and, you know, you go into your own little world a little bit. He was he picked me straight out of it, straight away. Me and Kurt Broadfoot stood there. Talk. Kurt played for him at Blackpool and um, he's just one of them characters. You You speak to him. And he's bonkers and it just makes you smile and laugh and takes all the pressure and everything away from you. And that's exactly what he was like when we were there. He, he, um, training was always good, high intensity, always fun. Um, was probably in the back end of the season. So all the technical work and the tactical stuff's always done. It's about ticking over and, and finishing strong. So every day was, was good. We'd go to... We'd go to Nando's, which was just down the road from the training ground. Um, that was my first experience at Nando's all them years ago. Um, and we'd all have lunch together and he was just mad. He was just mad. He'd run around the pit. I remember being in the treatment room one afternoon, like just speaking, and he'd be sprinting full pelt around the perimeter <laughs> of a pitch. And it was like a whippet just going round. And he weren't cutting corners. Like he was, I'm thinking, is he around? He went, he does it for about 20 minutes. I was like, no chance he can't do that for 20 minutes. And he went, no, no, he can. He'll do it for 20 minutes. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And I kid you not, he went at pretty much sprinting pace for like 20 minutes around the, like around the pitch, around the corner flags, back of the goal and that. And he stopped and he like took one deep breath and just walked off. <laughs> and I was, he, he just away with it. But brilliant. Man management, fantastic a lot more tactically astute than people would like to think because they see the crazy interviews he did at the time that was all over Soccer AM, things yeah. like that. But no, really clued into P 
people, very good with people on a human level and, and on dealing with athletes and personalities, but tactically very good, but a really good leader. When he spoke, you followed him and um, he was fantastic, really, really fantastic. And as, as good as manager that I've ever worked with, I know you want to speak about managers, but Holly's right up there with, um, with any of the managers I've worked with. Really? really? That that good? Yeah, he was. I had him for a very small time, so my judgment is obviously over probably a seven or eight week period, over 12 games. But I also think the way that he, he's been with me, you know, what is it, 16 years on, we, we still, still the same with me. And I just think that's, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. He mm. could just be a player that come in and did a job for him we shake hands and move on but nah I thought he was really good and he was under a lot of pressure at the time at QPR with the way the football club was by no fault of their own just that they had to get up for financial reasons um, they'd missed out on the playoffs and it was like it was their time and it was um, it was geared for it you walked in and it was like a winning circle you knew that the pressure was on to win they created that standard and you had to live up to it and um he was the driving force of that. Do you think that, that successful spell initially on loan at QPR opened the door for your, your next loan spell and then eventually going there permanently, do, going there and doing well? <clears throat> yeah, I think so, because I think they came back that summer and was trying to buy me. I think they may have bid a couple of times and um, it, it never happened. Um, and I didn't expect to play at Derby. I expected that. Granty was the number one. He would start the season. Oaksy was still there. He's obviously fighting for the number one spot. He wanted to play. And obviously, me being out on loan, my next... I was still sort of in a a progressive mindset rather than stamping down a place at Derby mindset that summer because I wanted to come back and continue the momentum. But I always thought that my momentum might be another loan spell and go out and try and forge a career that way because Granty was playing, Oaksy was still in the building, a lot more experience, a lot older. I was at the bottom of the three, so to speak. Um, and that I, I thought that would be my next step would be going out, maybe even going back to QPR and loan and playing. <clears throat> maybe dropping back into League One and playing, who knows? But that was what I, when I reported back, would be my next my next thing but then as pre-season went on it seemed as if um, Oaksy was going to move on I was going to be moved up the ladder to compete which was which was great because my ultimate goal was I wanted to play for Derby I wanted to be the number one there um, and then I think Granty got an injury in pre-season he had a couple of knocks did he have a couple of knocks he, he did something it wasn't serious but he missed a couple of games and I remember playing, I played up at Kilmarnock and did okay in a pre-season game. I think I played another one and did okay. Mally Webster had come in as goalie coach with George. Um, so I, I don't know, you'd have to speak to him to get the answer, but I presume that he probably just had a, an even keel, like everybody starts afresh, which, you know, in, I, I don't know, but in, Practically, I don't know how that, how that is feasible, if that makes sense. Yes. Granty was playing, played the games, you know, etc. So my mindset was you get all that taught that, you know, everyone starts afresh and you have to earn your place again. But 
my eyes, Granty was the number one at the club and I was going after him. Either that was going out alone playing games of football or competing in the building with him. Hopefully maybe get a couple of cup games here or there. If he gets an injury, get a chance to play perhaps, stamp your mark. But Mali, a bit like Steely, came in and saw something and quite liked me. And as, as the tale goes, he was the one that gave his recommendation to Jupp when Jupp, when, when, when was asked that he, he would start with me. And that, that was it. So, and as I said, we got told at Leeds in uh, the morning of the game, we got told at, uh, we was at Alton Hall, the hotel. I still remember, because whenever we go back there now, I still remember the spot where George pulled us and, and told us that I was playing. Well, told me and granted that I'd be playing. And I think that was off the back of, of Mally's recommendation. So I didn't, my whole pro mindset that summer was to progress and to keep challenging. Wasn't I didn't see that I would leapfrog at that point. My, my end game was I always wanted to get ahead of Grantie and I'm sure he wanted to stay ahead of me because, like we say, that's the natural competitiveness of every position. But I didn't expect at that point that that's when I would go ahead of him in the team. So, um, well, Like you say, it's, it's a bit of, not luck, because I always say, I've got a bit of a saying, I sound like Dullboy when I say, like, come out with these, but you make your own luck, don't you? Like... You work hard. Timing's a big thing. So, like you've had, you've had your opportunity, and timing's good. But you, this, you've just got to take that opportunity when it comes, haven't you? That's it, and that, and, and, and that's that. That's, I, I agree with you entirely. It's you prepare, and you give yourself the best opportunity. So, like in the summers, <clears throat> I would never ever go away and have like a three-week bender in Magaluf or Ainap. I'd go on holiday and have my holiday. But that was it. I draw the line, have a week or so, but then I would continue to train up until my holiday. And as soon as I got back, I'd keep myself right because I knew that that's where I needed to be to be able to compete. I, I can't back off my training and I can't back off from doing certain things because I'm not good enough to be able to just show up and play. So I always kept myself right. And that when I came back in pre-season, that, because at that point, my mindset is, I want to go out and play. I might get a call three weeks into pre-season or two weeks into pre-season. Right, you're going to there. They need you to play tonight against whoever. This is your chance to go out on loan for six months. So I need to be ready. That might be the only opportunity I get or the only game I get to be able to get a loan move or be able to progress further. So you've always had to be ready. So I always had in my mind that I was always ready to go at any point. Um, but you do need the opportunity. That's the thing. You always need somebody to open a door for you or an opportunity or somebody's misfortune for you be, to be able to get that opportunity. But then once that opportunity comes, you've got it's, it's entirely down to you. Do you know what I mean? No yeah. one else can play for you or perform for you. It's you. And like you, you went on to... Um... You went on to win the uh, like the Sammy Crooks, the Young Player of the Year and Player of the Year at Derby. So you take the opportunity, you've took the opportunity. Do you do you ever kind of look back and think it could have worked out differently at Derby, or it, like we say, was it circumstances beyond your control that you just you just got to get out and play some football? Um, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I think when the takeover happened and Billy Davies come in. 
I just don't. I just think he thought he, he had the opportunity to bring in a better, in a, a better goalkeeper in than what he thought he had at the time. Yeah. Th- that that was it. I think he wanted to progress the team. I think he wanted to compete because that was the re- Billy's famous word remit. But that was the that was the idea. The football club had been in a bit of a survival uh, survival mode for a couple of years from being relegated with continuing to have big players on big. Premier League salaries at the football club which didn't allow them to bring in players that they needed to compete in the championship so there was a little there was a, probably a three four year lug of where the club were say surviving as if it was like dying but I mean they weren't in a position where they could invest yeah. in new players if that makes sense they couldn't go out and spend a million pounds like Billy Davis did and buy Steve Howard his first signing at a million pound that wasn't possible for three or four years. John Gregory never had that opportunity when they got relegated. George Burley never had a million pounds to spend on a player that I can remember. Um, it was something so take- It was something daft, sorry, to, but it was something daft like Derby had not paid a million pounds for a player when they signed Steve Howard. It had been like 15 years. It, it was a daft amount of time since he'd spent a million pounds on a player. Yeah, so that, so, so there you go. So that, them four years had been so hard. So I think Billy come in with, with Gadsby and the consortium and the idea was the football club needs to progress. So as soon as you bring Billy Davis in, he wants to win promotion. He's had back-to-back playoffs with Preston, um, regardless of what people think of him or going to Forest or what happened at Derby. He's a winner and he'll get your team to a certain position. That is a guarantee. He'll get you a top six side. Mm. The rest of it will come down to luck, injuries, and that. but he, he'll develop and create a top six side for you. That goes without saying. So that was the remit when Billy come in. Then there's money available to spend. I think the club did sell some players out. Some I think Tommy Smith went to Watford, which brought in money. Um, so it gave him more money to spend. So he was able to invest. And I think it was just a case of he went through it and he was building his own team. And I think he had the chance to bring Byes in and he, he probably thought that Byes was a better goalkeeper or better, for whatever reason, than me and Grantie. He brought buys in, and, he, and the rest is history, as they say. So it was a case of it was a bit like again at QPR. I knew that I was never going to probably be number one again. Probably know that I'd be in the mix of competing. I might get a game here and there. As it turned out that season, I played a few games when buys was suspended and I come back off loan. But I knew that I was never ever going to be probably seen as the number one. And I, by that point, I wanted to play. And the opportunity came up to go to Norwich on loan and then again to QPR that season. It was a case of, well, do you sit here and not do nothing and be a bit of a spare part or do you go out and play football? And it's like, well, I kind of go back to that when I was a kid. I just want to play football. I want to play. Mm. I'm an alpha male. As I said last week, we're all alpha male. We want to play. We want to be competitive. We want to be in an environment where we're wanted. And when you're not playing and the team's doing well, it's difficult because you're like, you're on the periphery, you're not really going to play, you know you're not going to play. So you are, you are always naturally thinking, this ain't going to last forever, I can't stay on this gravy boat forever, there'll come a point. So I think it was just a case of, uh, that, that was that was how I saw it. He brought Bryce in, Bryce did fantastic, and I knew that my footballer, uh, you know, I had to go elsewhere f- for it, which um, thankfully that year I managed to get out on loan twice, which was which was great. Um, 
Well, I think it was a race between me and Granty. It was like who could get it. It was almost like who could get it. I think it was. I think it. I think it was who could get out first. There was there was three goalkeepers, two spots. There's an odd one out. Who's the one that can get out? And the one that doesn't get out will be there and be around it and and be the backup and and do whatever needs to be done. So, yeah. thankfully, I was I managed to get out twice. Well, obviously, once I went out the first time, that sort of cemented the fact that. I was out of the picture and then obviously the QPR come up and John John Gregory took me down to QPR on loan for the second time um, which then obviously turned into the permanent move in the summer so um, I, I just think I, I think the football club progressed yeah. simple as that football club progressed had a different different idea uh, new owners new manager trying to stamp their identity on it slightly yeah and you know what who can argue with it it's probably mm. the right idea maybe Deadwood been there a long time. It is what it is. Maybe I had to do it, and I wasn't the only one. It wasn't as if it was like, you know, he's gone. Granty event, like I said, Granty probably would have gone out on loan if he if if he would have got a chance to go out on loan before me. So I'd have probably took his position as the number two, or involved in the squad. I think Adam Boulder left that that year, having played some games. I think Richard Jackson may have left that yeah. year, having played some games. So Idiakes. there was a, Idiakes. There was, yeah, it, it, sorry, Diakes was one of the players that left for money to Wolves, I think. Yeah. So, Gregor, I think, left, went, did he go to Tottenham that it, year? Was that around the time or He went to Southampton, so? didn't he? Because he ended up playing sorry, against so, in the playoffs, yeah. That's right, sorry, Southampton. So, there was a turnover of player and it was probably right because it, it needed a new emphasis of, in the football club and that's, that's the business. It's probably a little bit more emotional for someone like myself who is a Derby boy, he's been there since, for a long time and sort of come through, is that you have that emotional connection to the football. Like, I've never had an emotional connection to any other football club like I did Derby because your, your family's season ticket holders. I was a season ticket holder, been there a long time. It's, it's kind of like, although I wasn't a direct fan, it's kind of like your club, do you mm. know what I mean? So yeah. it's probably more difficult for me to leave and probably in my mind to leave than it, it was for other players. But... That's that's the nature of the beast. It's the turnover of players. I mean, look at the turnover of players that's gone on at Derby in the last four or five years, and then the four or five years before that, and different circumstances. It's just the wheel keeps turning. Mm. And we we spoke earlier about going out on loan to QPR when they were flying and ended up getting promotion, and the difficulty of that was it was it strange coming back off loan. Obviously, uh, Byers got sent off at Ipswich, uh, I think, and. Um, towards the end of the season and you came back and played at Palace um, yeah. was that difficult then going away obviously making the conscious decision I'm, right, I'm going to have to go away from Derby cutting the emotional ties a little bit and then coming back at like a, a really that, the Palace game was like a massive game to just step back into wasn't it yeah it's because QPR was in a relegation but I went there and kind of did we'd, we'd done the job as a team we'd got them away from it so I remember we played up at Sunderland and I was, heard the results or looking through and saw Byers had got sent off and I was thinking, well, I know they had a recall. I'm thinking, I wonder if if this will happen. And I think they appealed it and it went on for a few days. So I don't think I actually got recalled until later on in the week. Yeah. So I don't remember coming back in the building until probably the day before or the day after. And I know Billy had been to a couple of the, couple of the games um, I think he was. At, we played at Coventry, and I know he was there. Um, he may have been at another one watching 
I don't think he's directly watching me, but I think he was there watching the game um, with a couple of players he had in mind for the future. Um, and I'd done, I'd done okay, played pretty well. So I was, I was in a decent nick. I was playing, I was match fit. So, but when I came back, I got recalled, went back, and I didn't expect to play. I, I didn't expect to play. So Grant has been on the bench. Grant has been around it. He'll play. And then I, he pulled me and said, "You'll play." And I just—it was weird. I, di I didn't expect again. Didn't expect to play. And then I was playing, and um, I think we lost the game one or two nil. Two nil, I think. I, I can remember being at Crystal Palace, and it being no disrespect to you, just how it was. That it was a, a, like a surprise that you'd come back and started. Believe me, <laughs> there was no one more surprised than me. Any than me because I didn't. It, it didn't make sense. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, but you you get paid. So like I said, 100% salary, you do 100% of the work. So you play, it's an opportunity. Whatever, whatever happens, you're on a hide into none. If you win, well, we're winning anyway. Didn't really fit. If you lose, well, we need buy water. So you can't, so it was like a bit of a, it was yeah, a free no hit win. for me. Yeah, yeah, no yeah, win, yeah. free hit. Yeah, it yeah. was a weird game. They ended up breaking. And I remember Tyron Mears walking off the pitch as they scored the second goal. It was like there was a weird. It was a weird day, a weird atmosphere. But I think if remember right, I remember Tyrone Mears walking from the right back side, walking all the way over to the I dugout. I remember that. And Mark Kennedy either ran in and scored, or he had scored, and Ty just walked off the pitch. Either way, Mark Kennedy just ran in and scored and smashed it in, in off the. I, I was standing there looking, thinking, what is going on here? Like, yeah. Why is Ty? And it was. I don't know if it was the start of a little bit of, um, what's the word, disgruntlement. Well, he brought amongst... he brought a, he brought a few in, Nancy said that the team that had got up in January and alone, Billy started to bring. He brought like nearly ten players in, and I think towards the end of that season, when he caught, it was there was like a two kind of camps there. From as watching as a fan, I might be completely wrongly. Well, y yeah, you probably would because it, that. You, you probably would be right with your assessment because from what I can remember it was, it was like a team I mean I dipped in and dipped out I was in the building probably for the, the biggest amount of time I was in the building at any point that season was probably about five weeks over the Christmas period when I came back from maybe a bit longer maybe come back from Norwich and then went back out to QPR in the February so maybe about six, seven weeks but during that January they signed I think Craig Fagan came in yeah um did Jay McEverly come in? M yeah, McEverly came in. Ty came uh, in. Ty, yeah, Ty came in at that time. Uh, but they brought, like, they had loads, they had like Darren Curry came in. Um, yeah. So, so there was all these different, like he just broke the whole team up look from the outside looking in. Yeah, and I don't know if I, because when I walk back in the building, like you look from the outside and like, I still spoke to the goalie coach and the physio, like how are you and everything okay, any problems, like you have to keep touching base with, obviously, Derby because they're your employees and they're your club. But everything seemed to be rosy. Kept winning, kept mm. winning, kept winning. Like keeping clean sheets, winning games 1-0, winning games that were difficult, but coming out on the right, finding a way to win. So everything looked rosy. Then when you come back in, it was a bit like, hmm, not quite as rosy as you thought it was. And it was probably that Crystal Palace game was the time when the disgruntlement probably started to sort of kick in because we've been in I think the club had been top of the league and top two for a long time yeah. and looked as if they were going to run away with it and then obviously drop down into the playoffs and um, 
I think that was probably the start of it when people were probably like, hold on a minute, what's going on? But I mean, obviously went on and won the playoffs, which is fantastic. But even through, in the, through the playoffs, there was a couple of surprises with team selections and the certain things here and there, like Giles not playing at Wembley and Pep starting at Wembley. And, and Seth you know, Johnson starting. Seth Johnson starting, who had played a big bit and then fell out of, not fell out of favour, but had gone out of the team because of the new players. So. And, and it finished him off, Seth, playing that day. He's not yeah, he did his cruise ship. Yeah. yeah, did his cruise ship, bless him, that day. But, um, so, but yeah, so he was on a no-win. So it was a really weird, weird time. But again, really enjoyable time because the club went into the playoffs and managed to be involved in the squad. And obviously the day at Wembley was special for everybody. So... Um, was you was you happy to be? I know it's like you say you always want to play. You're a competitor, alpha male. But to come back to Derby and just have that, obviously not in, not playing, but involved in both Wembley and the Southampton win. It's still nice to be. Oh no, with. yeah, absolutely. Like that's special because I mean I've not had that many playoffs in my my career. I've not had them for like ten years, nine years, nine ten years, whatever it is. So you have to savor them moments, and they don't always come along that often. So. I was there for the ride. I was I was ready to do whatever needed to be done yeah. when it needed to be done. But uh, it's just another one of them situations. Where I, I can't be involved directly, but you train well, be good about the place, laugh and a joke with the lads, take the pressure off the boys that are playing, keep them relaxed and just be good about the place and enjoy it and sit back. And There's always a positive. There's always something you can look at. You watch watch things and it's a great education to sit back and enjoy so that was special that was special it was like I was a good group it was a good group of players like really good well-knit well-knit yeah, group yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that carried it over the line I think like some real Darren Moore Michael Johnson Stevie Howard Baizu is bonkers but brilliant mm. um, Matty Oakley Seth these these sort of characters aren't coming through into the game anymore. Like that, that's they're the old school like type, aren't they? Old school type. They could hold this. Mark Edworthy. Yeah. What Jesus popped into Moro, Moro, Pesh. Yeah. These sort of players, like Stevie Pearson, like solid, in, like Scottish international, Bob Malcolm. These players, like these, are good, hardened professionals to have about the place. So when things start to wobble, or if there's any bit of doubt. You hear about these characters that pull people into line and keep things. They they was more of them than they was nervous characters, yeah. shall we say. So they kept the ship going in the right di- direction, and it was the tightness of the group and the preparation, like the meticulous preparation of Billy and his staff, that that pushed the club over the line. It was it was a special time, like not directly for myself because I wasn't involved, which I'd love to have been involved with, but it was special to sit around and watch because it was it was a good dynamic about the place well from from there you, you obviously got your move to QPR which we, we spoke about in in the last podcast but then it was to to, to Nottingham Forest and, and back on the Billy and I wanted to ask you a bit about Billy because he's he's always fascinated me so obviously I'm 14 15 when he's at Derby watching football and like adored him because it, it's just this cat like character and, and whatnot but you hear both sides about Billy. What was your experience of playing under him? Because he's obviously got something about him because he's been in the Championship. He's never had a bad season. He's been consistently... He gets them up there. Forrest, Preston, Derby. He gets them up there, doesn't he? He does. Because 
he's a winner and he's meticulous in what he does and um, he drives and demands high standards. Um, I knew when he come into Derby, he probably a couple of weeks into pre-season, I, I remember saying um, to Mark and that, I said, I'll tell you something, they'll be there or thereabouts this year, Derby. If they get a couple of players in, regardless if I'm involved, anyway, but yeah, the, the club will be there or thereabouts because this guy means business. You could see the way he spoke to players, the way he demanded off players, the way he set his teams up, what he expected from individuals in certain certain times. He had all the ideas and the the attributes of a winner that will that could win games of football. And it was a bit like Holly in many ways, is that Holly was probably better in terms of talking to individuals and man-managing players individually than perhaps Billy was. Although I did think Billy was quite good at that. He doesn't get as much credit as yeah. people give him for, but I, I think he's pretty good at that. But Billy was meticulous in terms of the team and how the team played and how the team functioned. And he always used to talk about, and I remember this, he did this at Forest and he's probably done it everywhere he's been, is that you should be able to close your eyes and know where your teammates are. You should be able to play... Uh, play football you can't play football with your eyes closed because you can't see the ball but I mean you'll be able to close your eyes move into position and everybody should move like clockwork you should all be in your yeah. right shape when he gets the ball here you should be able to close your eyes and go he's the, you know you see what I'm trying to yeah, say I know exactly that what you mean, yeah. he was meticulous in patterns and shapes and making sure that the team functioned right that when the ball was on one side of the pitch the team was balanced things like this these little details that sometimes get overlooked is and then obviously as the season started and, we, and you started to see his preparation on the opposition, mm. you don't always see him pre-season because obviously you're not playing league games and you're not, you know, it's pre-season games, you're working on things and whatever. But then when it started going into how this is going to work against the opposition and analysing the opposition and the detail he went into was incredible. I mean, it was like, I joked like a few times that, oh, you know what the ball boys' names were and you'd know what trade... <laughs> but it was that level of detail. I mean, the detail of it was phenomenal. So you can never, ever go into games not being prepared and not knowing what to expect. And um, that's what he produces. And, he, and it gets you so far. You get a good spine, get yourself organised, get yourself a certain way of playing that works. And it does get you so far and... Um, I mean, we've not always had a, an eye-to-eye -eye relationship. We never had an eye-to-eye -eye relationship at Forest. We butted head on a few things and we had conversations like we did at Derby, but we never fell out over things. Like, there's probably not a lot of love lost between us, but we never fell out or anything like that. We um, Was it always constructive, the, the conversations you had? Yeah, maybe 100%. Yeah. Nothing yeah. was ever personal. Nothing. Yeah. I never, ever saw Billy take anything personal with any of his players or carry a grudge that visibly I could see or came out in his behaviours towards players in terms of things. He would get on to players and players would, <clears throat> probably not at Derby because, as I spoke, I wasn't overly involved there and it was a different group. He had a lot of senior group there that managed itself. But especially at Forest, he had a younger group which he added senior players into, like myself, uh, Dexter Blackstock, Paul McKenna, Dealey Adebola. He lent on Wes Morgan a lot more for being a senior player, Kelvin Wilson. And he used to get onto some of the younger players and some of the younger players used to take it a bit personal and probably a little bit oversensitive because some people are. And I used to say to him, listen, he's not trying to like knock you down. He's trying to make you a millionaire. 
that, and that's the reality of it. He's trying to make you a better player. Because if you're a better player, somebody might come and buy you and you could be in the Premier League for the next 10 years based on what he's trying to develop out of you and get out of your game. Ultimately, that's what you will become. Is like, you go to the Premier League for 5 million quid at that time, you become a millionaire. So that's what he's trying to do for you. He's trying to make you better so you play regular in his team, then people will look at you and go, he's a hell of a player. Let's buy him. Let's take him from Forest or from Derby or wherever. Yeah. And let's put you into an Arsenal squad or let's put you into a, I don't know, a Bolton at the time. Yeah, who, yeah. Do you know what I mean? He was trying to develop you. And I think like some of the young players thought he was always on him, always on him. But once that sort of softened, once they, once they he softened, I wouldn't say they sort of saw where he was coming from and he's, the way it was. And then Forrest, we, at Forest, we started to become a better team and we started to develop into a team that was up the top end of the table. They could see it. They could see it and I think they appreciated it then. Um, and I remember having a couple of conversations with him, like, you have to stick with these players of a bit different generation. They're, they're not used to that yeah. constant pressure of like driving standards into them. Um, and we butted head a few times, you know, come on, they've, they've got to be this, they've got to be that. And I said, they'll get, like, you know, they'll get there. And so we did butt heads on a few things, but he's a winner. Yeah. He's a winner. That, Absolute winner. That, that Forest side... And when he was at Forest, it was, it was it's similar to Preston. Got a couple of playoffs and got in a derby. But he, they had they had a run of three three maybe four years where Derby have had more recently when they they lost to QPR and then got in the playoffs again. Then got in the playoffs again. Forest were very very unlucky not to be in the Premier League because they were a brilliant side at that time. Yeah, yeah, we were we were a good side. We weren't. Um, I think the first year, the first full year. Billy's first full year, we overachieved a little bit. We was in the top two for a while. We had a hell of a run around November, Christmas. I think we kept so many clean sheets, won so many games, and that really catapulted us. And I think we went to West Brom in January and we beat them on a Friday night at West Brom. And I think everybody thought, well, that's it now. We're going to, not not within the camp, but I think the general sense of like, Forest are going to kick on. Mm. And we had Nicky Shorey and on loan from Villa at left, who was playing left back for yeah. him and he was unbelievable, unbelievable, like what a player he was. And his loan ran out and they never renewed it. And we had a real problem at left back. Then we had Chrissy Cohen, who was a, a big part of the midfield, was having to drop in at left back. So the whole dynam dynamic of the team changed. We nearly lost James Perch to Newcastle, so that unsettled him a little bit. Yeah. So, by the end of January, West Brom, after we'd beaten three weeks ago, they went and invested and brought in four or five, maybe not four or five, but they, they brought in enough to get them over the line where we weakened and then we just ran out of steam. It was a young squad. Uh, we probably could have done with a couple more older heads that probably knew how to get through games when it was a bit sticky. And the games that we ended up losing, we probably should have won if we'd have had a little bit know-how but we just sort of ran out of steam. And then of all the teams we got in the playoffs, we got Blackpool, who was like an absolute steam train. They beat us four times that year. They beat us three times convincingly, twice in the playoffs. I mean, they just ste they steamrolled us. Absolutely. Charlie Adam and 
Yeah, DJ, DJ Campbell, Campbell. Yeah, DJ Campbell got a couple, didn't he, in the game? Yeah, yeah. They, were the, they, they were playing like everybody tries to play now, this passing rotation football, dictating possession and controlled. They were doing it. They was, you know, midfielders would step into, uh, into the back four, centre-ass would step out with the ball. It was just like orange, orange shirts everywhere. Yeah. And they was just on that run. They hit us and they hit us hard. And to be fair, that second half, in the second leg, they just steamrolled us. So, there's no complaints. Like they were just better than us, and we probably, we probably finished where we we probably deserve. To be fair, like it would have been nice to get to the final and have a pop at it. But over the course of the season, it was about right. They was Blackpool. They had the momentum and they they battered us. And in the second year, we creeped into the playoffs and we lost to Swansea who then went on and won it again. So we were probably unlucky in the sense that we came up against teams that went on and won it, but probably the first year we overachieved a little bit and the second year we perhaps underachieved a little bit. So swings and roundabouts. I think the playoffs, this is speaking again as a fan who's seen Derby that many times mess it up, but they do tend to favour the teams that have either snuck in or just got in fifth and sixth and it's a lottery rather than the teams that have been up there all season. Because if you drop into the playoffs late on, it's like more of a sucker punch that are in the playoffs. Whereas if you've got in on sixth, you're like nothing to lose, lads. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I think momentum's key in anything. And I think if you're playing well and confident and everyone's winning breeds confidence, that's as, it's as simple as that. That's how fragile it be. You lose a couple of games, confidence wobbles. And that's where you need strong senior people in your squad to keep it keep the ship going the right way win a few games and everyone's on cloud nine you can't wait for the next game winning's easy and it and it and it's a catapult effect and i, I do agree and it, i think obviously derby last year came up against villa who would, well if you're talking about momentum you're not you're not yeah. going to get any more momentum that they was on coming into the the second half of the season and into the playoffs so um i, I do think it is a is a big thing I do think it's a big deal. It's difficult when you're trying to find form or you're trying, or if you're in the playoffs, for instance, if you're in the playoffs for a couple of weeks to go and you know that you're going to be in the playoffs, mm. you know, them last couple of games. You take your form slightly. I think people do. I think yeah. it's human. I think people are worried about getting injured. I think the club worry about players getting injured. They're trying to save players. Well, we can't get him injured. We need him. Rest the striker. You know, it happens. You see it all the time. It's, it, and I think that that's another thing that can be a factor as well. So I do think momentum is key. Yeah. Um, and around that time as well was when you you got your international call up to Northern Ireland. Um, obviously, come through England twenty ones to go to go and play for play for Northern Ireland. How did how did that come about? Was it a case of like yeah stories of oh Campy's doing well? Is it let's see if he's got any links to Northern Ireland or was it was you aware of it already? No, no. It's it's a link that I've known for a long time. My granddad's. I okay. was born in Newton Ards um, many, many moons ago, bless him. And um, he, massive football, huge football fan, huge football fan. And um, he always said to me, you want to go and play for Northern Ireland? You know, you want to play for Ireland? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I was a, I was a kid. And um, I'd been doing all right at Forest and playing well. And there was a couple of like, not necessarily a lot younger than me, but goalies sort of in and around my age had been called up in and around the England squad. Now, I'm not saying I should have been in the England squad. I'm not saying that at all. And that wasn't the reason why I did it. But 
I thought, well, they're getting called in and I'm not. What's going on here? Obviously, I'm not going to get in the Premier League. Probably not going to play for England. Yeah. I've got this opportunity. I'd, I knew Nigel Worthington, who was a manager at the time, because he took me to Norwich. I knew the goalie coach who was there. And I knew a few of the lads that was in the squad. And I said, like, what's the situation? They spoke about it. So I made the phone calls and said, look, I've got this opportunity. I've got this illegibility. Um because it goes back as far as your granddad said. My granddad was 100% born in um, in Newtonards. What do I need to do? Would you be interested? I said, well, yeah, definitely. Would be looking at doing it. Mike Taylor was the number one at the time, and he was um, he was coming towards the end of his career. So he said, we're looking at, we've got a couple of young ones coming through. We need somebody sort of your age to bridge it. So we looked into it get all the birth certificates and uh, prove the, the lineage, the lineage is, it? is that the right yeah, word? Yeah, yeah. And then um, it took about six months. It's a, it's a lengthy process. It's like, it's not, it's not just like, oh, you can ring up and say, oh yeah, by the way, my yeah. old man was, or my, my granddad <laughs> or whatever was born in, born in Belfast or just outside Belfast. Yeah, like. so turn up in the morning reboots. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, um, there has to be a lot. So then, like, you have to speak to the English FA, and they have to say, like, are you sure you want to do this and that? And I was like, well, are you going to put me in an England squad? No. So yeah, yes, then. <laughs> yeah. So, but no. Once I kind of made my mind, it was something I was thinking about doing at QPR, um, and I was just moving to London. And I just wanted to get settled rather than having then to go through all that and then yeah, <clears throat> as we spoke about it. Obviously, I moved to Forest, so it kind of put it on the back burner again. So, yeah, I moved over and, and played for a little bit, and that was an enjoyable experience as well. Yeah, it was, it, do you find it that step up? Because, obviously, you played Premier League at Norwich, didn't you? Was it uh, only a few yeah, games? Yeah, that was three a little or four bit after, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, when you play Premier League and international football, is it, is, do you find, what was the step up like? Was it, was it similar, or was it, or can you just instantly tell the difference? Yeah, you can tell the difference. The quality and the pace of things are quicker. So, if, for example, you face four crosses in a game at the level I was playing at, two of them might be in a position where you can come and catch them. One might go out for a goal kick and one might be put into the mixer so the defenders and the attacker can compete for it. Yeah. Where at international level, you might face one cross and that would be on the money. Yeah. So, and if they had a shot from distance, you knew you was getting worked. And if they got into a goal-scoring position, you knew that you was getting worked where, you know, they might blare it with a respect, but they might blast it over the bar. You know that you're going to get worked. And that was that was a different level. Cause you can, even like I played against teams like Estonia and people like that, technically brilliant, mm. playing through lines and rotations and all that sort of stuff they were really good and then when they get into the final position like they don't have to rely on creating 15 chances and going with um sort of what you call percentage football but yeah. if we get the ball in the box so many times we'll get so many chances they were quite comfortable to have two or three entries into goal scoring positions because then they knew full well that they would hit the target or they'd score so that was that was the difference and that was more the same with the Premier League, um, just the quality, like all the corners were always on the money and the individual stuff was 
was always right and if strikers were shooting they'd hit the target and I think that's where the championship certainly gone in the last three or four years it's gone more that way because of the quality of player now that's in the championship quality of player that has dropped down into the championship from the Premier League to play I think that gap has been golfed a bit and you certainly find that now the way the game's changed a little bit and you're not having to deal with as much as a goalkeeper you don't have as many crosses or uh, long throws and things like that to deal unless you play Cardiff or you play against Birmingham then it's a bit different but yeah. <laughs> like for example Derby play um, Leeds play West Brom play possession football um, Preston play possession football but mix it up a little bit they're a little bit more old so there's different types but generally that is a lot more how the championship's gone so that was a big difference at the time in in terms of the step up um, but like I say that's that's been golfed a little bit in the championship but obviously then I know in the Premier League now the top boys are they're a different level than they were a six, seven, eight, ten years ago. So it's um, uh, the level's probably gone up, but it's also filtered down a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I just wanted, because we spoke about managers, obviously after that you, were, you played at Rotherham. Um, did you play under Steve Evans and Neil Warnock? Yeah, I went I went to uh, Bournemouth in between with yes. Eddie Howe, which was amazing. I mean, oh, yeah, Eddie another Howe. Eddie. Yeah, so yeah, complete. Yeah, Eddie Howe. What's? Yeah. Cause I spoke to Eddie, Mi- Eddie I spoke to Miles about Eddie Howe, and, and and Miles absolutely raved about him. I he was unbelievable. Like I couldn't believe what I walked into. I went in on loan, um, another loan move. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was at West Brom. I'd gone into West Brom after I'd left Norwich, and I signed like a four or five month contract there as cover when Ben Foster got injured, <clears throat> and that came up to go. So I went there and I knew that they played a certain way. I, was, I knew one of the lads down there. I'd, I'd spoken to him before and he was like, look, this is what they want to do. But we'd done a little bit of the way they did it with Sean O'Driscoll at Forest. So I kind of had an idea because Eddie played under Sean and I think he was a bit of a um, mentor for Eddie in the early days. And I'd spoke to a couple of players who'd played under Eddie at, at Burnley. But I was completely, it was like unbelievable. The six months I, I, I went on loan and then ended up signing in January. That six or seven months was like a minefield. Really? It was, oh, it was a minefield. <laughs> like they were playing, <clears throat> I think at one point you weren't allowed to kick the ball out of your hands. I think you had to find a way of playing. That was like the restriction in a championship game, which was completely. Well, is that, that's not in training, what in games as well? This was in games, yeah. Like, oh, I, remember wow. kicking a, I remember kicking the ball. Two minutes to go, something like that. We were winning. Trying to hit the corner. <laughs> yeah, standard. Hit the corner flag, put it in there. Hit the corner flag, time. box them in. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what was my... T- and it was like, after the game, I had a polite um, goalie coach come over to me, Mossy, and was like... I think he was going to say, oh, well done. Enjoy your day off, like, whatever. But just... Um, that kick you took at the end, I went, yeah, it's a bit hard. Sorry, I didn't mean to kick it as far. He went, yeah... We don't do that. Gaffer's not happy. <laughs> and I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't like you kicking it out of your hands. And I was like, give over, like, you're having me on. And he was like, no, no. Oh, like, wow. He'd rather you drop it and clip it than kick it out. I was like, right, okay. So he spoke to me about it and he was good. He was like, I just don't want 
I don't want it. And he was like, maybe at the time. Anyway, brushed it off. I kind of understood his message he was doing, but that was what it was. It was always try and find a pass, try and play out, find the spare man. There's always a spare man, whether that's 60 yards away or six yards away. Find the spare man, give them the ball. They've got to deal with it. This is the requirements I want of my players and my team. So centre-halves had to play, midfielders had to play, full-backs had to play, everyone had to play, goalies had to play. Yeah, I'd, be scared of giving it, I'd, be, I'd be scared of giving it to centre-half for two minutes to go for getting a bollocking off the centre-half saying, why the fuck are you giving me the ball? <laughs> <laughs> well... But they were tuned to it. They were tuned to it. Yeah, they yeah. were standing there going, give me the ball. And I'm like, get up the pitch. Like, no, 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 give me the ball. I, I have to say, I do have to say, this was very early on in in my time there. Yeah. So it wasn't as if like I was going against the grain. It was just a case of like, I wasn't quite... Aware of it, yeah. ...speed with everything. And I was like, right, so we are total football. And that's what... It, and it was a brilliant six, seven months. And then the next year we got promoted and... Um, that was just a great learning curve. Like a lot of the stuff that I've I've thought about when being a manager comes from that sort of stuff. It was Eddie was ahead of his time. His coaching session, like his training sessions, were there was never a wasted minute with Eddie. Never, everything was always meticulous in terms of like this is how we play. This is why we do it. Combinations. It was like he's top. Top top draw, and he's like forty one. Is he forty forty one? Yeah. Something like that. Maybe forty two. I mean, he's been managing ten years. The experience he's got, he could manage anyone one day. Yeah. Do you, Unbelievable. Going into coaching and management, obviously Billy, George Burley, um, Neil Warnock, Evans, uh, Eddie Howe, uh, Worthington. Who, who do you think you'll take the most from going into your managerial career? <clears throat> coaching career I think you try to take as much I think when it comes to coaching and managing it's slightly different I think if you want to be a coach I think you you probably focus more on the, the grass stuff I want to manage like I want to be a manager so mm. when I look at Warnock and these people I look at their behaviours how they look at things things they say at half time how they deal with things at different stages of the game, I think, well, why have they made that substitution? What are they doing that for? What's the thinking? And I try to analyse what they're doing, not in a way to criticise, it's just a case of learning. Like, I want yeah. to know, I want to understand why you're doing it. What what was your thinking behind it? And some managers aren't always very readily giving away their information. It's a bit, I'm the manager, you're the player, that's it. Yeah. Fine. Respect the line, no problem. I had a great relationship with Neil Warnock. I still have a good relationship with him. I still have a good relationship with Eddie Howe. Gary Monk was really, really, I thought was a really good manager. Yep. So you try to take away their behaviours and why they do things and what they're looking at. I think in terms of like the actual setting a team up and things like that, I think it's not football manager. It's not you. you can't go and sign who you want. You can't pick the perfect player have the perfect practice for the perfect formation and your perfect philosophy. I, I hear this banded about this philosophy and I want to play my way yeah. of football. And implement well, this and implement that. and yeah. And I think, with the greatest respect, if Guardiola came into Birmingham City tomorrow and tried to play his Manchester City way of Barcelona way, Bayern Munich way, his, his style of football on Birmingham City, 
he wouldn't be very successful if he isn't able to go and recruit the type of player he needs to play in his way. Because you, the philosophy is great if you've an open checkbook and you can go and sign and handpick players for each position. If I take over, if I take over Birmingham City or a manager takes over Derby County and there's a financial restriction or you're halfway through October, you can't sign anyone, you can't bring anyone in alone, you've got a group of 22 players, how are you meant to implement your philosophy? I think the, the good managers, and the way I hope that I will be if I get the opportunity, is that you're able to go in and find a way of playing and winning games of football with the, the tools you've got. And giving yourself enough time to be able to then implement your like what you want, like your ideology on it, which is so difficult nowadays because some managers don't even get a transfer window. Some managers don't have final say on the players that come in the door. They are head coaches and they, you know, they're expected to play a certain way, but the players that come in the door that are signed by recruitment, by chief execs, by head of footballs, whatever, do not fit what's needed for the way they want to play. So there's sometimes you're going to have a, a misconnect yeah. Or disconnect, a disconnect or whatever it is from what you get and what you need and I think the good managers like Gary Monk came into Birmingham before he signed me I identified the situation of the club what needed to be done and what he had at his disposal found a way of playing that suited what he had to get results and got results does you know does, I, I, think, I think that's Warnock does that Warnock will change his formations, will change things. He will put people in different positions because he has an idea about something. But once he finds something that works for that group, he will bang that drum and he will continue doing it. If it's not pretty and if it doesn't look great, it's like he's not bothered. He's like, I'm here to win. You want me to win, we need to win. So... What I've got two more questions for you because I'm aware that I'm keeping you, but um, um got all the time in the world, mate. We're in lockdown, remember? All right, sound right. I've got five more questions. Right <laughs> but I want to talk about Warnock a little bit because he strikes me similar to Billy Davis. Billy Davis always had this aura of him where it's like us against the world, we're just going to win, it don't matter, we're just going to go out and get that result. And, and Neil Warnock strikes me like that. Is he kind of that character where if you're with him, you're with him, if you're against him. That's it. Do you know what I mean? The, the point I'm to... I won't be a referee. Oh. <laughs> you don't like referees. And he's a qualified referee. Do you know that? He's a qualified ref. I never knew. No, I, didn't, I actually um, didn't know that. I'm 99.9% sure that he is a qualified referee. I'm wow. sure I've, I've heard him say that at the training ground. And I'm sure I've seen interviews when he said that. I'm sure I knew that before he came. I'm sure he's... I know he used to obviously do his um, chiropery stuff when he was part-time or whatever and I know he's, he, he does all that but um, and he worked in a bowling alley that's a brilliant uh, <laughs> Did he? story yeah yeah brilliant story <laughs> about the ball Pesh Pesh um, put something in the press about that maybe 18 months ago but I remember Pesh telling us this story when he signed um, from Sheffield United to Derby about Warnock that he used to work in a bowling alley like, when he was younger and apparently He's an unbelievable temping bowling player. Like, he's, his ratio is meant to be like, is it 300 or something? Yeah, 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 you can, yeah, yeah. He yeah. gets like 200 plus every time. He's meant to be unbelievable. 
right? So, so Pe- the story will be out there. I'm sure I'll if you Google it, it you'll I'll find, find it. it. No, I remember Pesh telling us that he, he took them bowling and he went, right, oh, right, we're going to have an afternoon bowling or whatever. Everybody chuck in a tenner or 20 quid or whatever in the pot. Winner takes all. Between, yeah, no problem. Anyway, so he collected all the money he had. He then turned around and pulled out his own shoes and bowling ball <laughs> and was like, oh, yeah, by the way, lads, I'm the bollocks. I've just, just, just Googled it, and if the first thing that comes up is TalkSport. Neil Warnock reveals hilarious story of how he conned Sheffield United stars in bowling contests. I remember Pesh telling it was all these years ago, and he said he like he just walked off with a. He said he bowled a perfect score. He said it was unbelievable. <laughs> He's spinning it in all sorts, and you're like, you can't say no. He's a gaffer. You can't. Yeah, you can't say you've had us off here. Like you've you've. <laughs> Brilliant, but I'm sure he's a. I'm sure he's he is a, a qualified ref as well. Yeah, he's come up. He is a qualified ref as well. He's the best. What a character! He's, he's amazing. What he did for me personally was unbelievable. Like I'll or like with, you know, I spoke of what I said about Steely before and, and other people, but Warnock is in that category for me. Like what he did for me, he took me out of Rotherham. He was. I was going to go to Cardiff in the January. Had the knee injury. We hadn't quite diagnosed it properly. Ended up, I went down there, failed a medical, a lot worse than we first thought, went back, had the operation in January. Obviously, the move didn't materialise. <clears throat> and he never he never faded away. He, just, he always called me every three, four, five weeks. Or he got, he, he certainly called me a couple of times, like to check in with me. He took the goalie coach, Dibs. He always, uh, Andy Dibble, Dibs, he took, uh, he'd call me regular on behalf of the gaffer of, of the gaffer as well to see how it was, how the progress was going. And he never diverted away. He said, you know, I'll get fit in the summer. I'll come back and I'll sign you, get fit. And you know that, like, you'll be my, my goalie. Um, and he did. And unfortunately for me, my biggest regret is that I could never re- repay the faith because I, I just couldn't quite get fit. I just, every time I got, close I had a little niggle with my groin or something not quite with my knee right with my knee I had to go back in and clean something out or and by the time I actually got fit the moment had passed and um, I'll always regret that I'll never be able to repay that faith to him but he was brilliant the minute he walked in I remember when he walked in at, um, at Rotherham I mean the training ground at Rotherham isn't more farm Let's yeah. put it that way. It's not <laughs> the most desirable of places. It's, it's better now. It wasn't at the time. And he drank and he, he stood in the meeting and he, at Rotherham at the time, we had like 40 players. It was just like, it was like a, what's it, like a graveyard. Yeah, a like, retirement home football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like so much money on the pitch from a business. I, I looked at it like all championship players as well. Players that had played like a lot of games in the champ who was like everywhere. I remember we walked in and he had all these, um, hold on mate, can you pause one second? Yeah, 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 no worries. Yeah. Someone banged at the fucking door. <laughs> Brilliant, Amazon, great. All that. Cheers. Right, right, right. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> right, start again. We'll start that again so we can edit it. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I remember when he first walked in at Rotherham, we had all these players and he had the first meeting and there was like 40 of us, 35, anyway. And I remember him walking in, he's looking around and he said, like, in his Yorkshire accent, I'm not going to do his accent, I won't do it, but he's like, 
and he he turned to like Blackie. He's like Blackie, Blackie, <laughs> Kev. God, these players. <laughs> Some of these ain't good enough. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> I can't remember if he said these aren't good enough or he said something on them lines and he yeah. like looked around the room and he had that look on his face and he was and you just thought wow he's arrived and you thought jeez and he was like Neil Rotherham uh, Neil Rotherham bloody hell. Neil Warnock's teams they've never been relegated they're not, not going to start now not going to start now Neil Warnock's teams are winning teams we and he was talking in third person, right? <laughs> and in a, a real hilarious way, his message was unbelievable. Yeah. It was like, he was just like, we ain't going to lose football matches. I don't lose football matches. And it was, it was like, the ones that are good enough, you're going to play and we're going to win. And the other ones, you're the problem, like not the solution. <laughs> and you're like... <laughs> This is like the first meeting, and he's like, MK Dons, MK Dons. They won't get, they won't stay up ahead of Neil Warnock. And I'm like, oh, like wow. wow. But finally, I thought, wow, this is, this is what we need. We need somebody who's bigger than mm. the football club, bigger personality than everything that can come in and just blow it up, just go bang. Yeah. And like, I always thought, when he come in, this is going to go one or two ways. It's going to end in a blaze of glory, or it's going to be brilliant because there's no, there's no mediocre with with Neil. It's just like bang. It's either brilliant or we're going to go down horrendously. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which I didn't generally believe because I thought I always thought we had enough out of forty players to find a team that could probably get eleven, twelve points out of fifteen games to keep us up. But um, he walked in, he was a breath of fresh air, he was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Tactically, so astute. So like the things he used to see and that, you'd be like Yeah, how's he, he seen what, that? Yeah. How's he seen that? He was he he come out and, and um in a real um authoritative like what you'd expect from like the manager, the leader, not aggressive in a nice tone was so firm and direct with people it was like you can see why he's he's been where he's been and he's done what he's done he's just he's ahead of the game he's all them years of experience with his brain as well and his eyes I'm sure he sees things different to how other people see things it's like them people just see things different he was unbelievable he was amazing he was amazing. Come out with his umbrella and his sunglasses on, which never <laughs> made any sense. And he's like, right, I want to see me set plays. Let's see me set plays. Right, get the big ones. Where's the big lads? Right, you can form a wall. And, uh, you, and it was just, who's got a long throw? You got, a, right, you can throw it in there. Right, you need to throw it here and you need to edit and you need to put it in the net. And it's as simple as that. Don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate it. And it's like, yeah, he's right. That's incredible. He was just brilliant. He was just the charisma, the character. He was just what the football club needed to be picked up. And he was, and um, I think we lost, we, we drew with Birmingham the first game. We lost at Burnley. We lost at Reading. We beat Brentford. And then we, I think we went on like a 13 game unbeaten run. 
I can remember that actually. Yeah, I can remember. I can remember. I that. remember being three 0 down to Derby with like nine minutes to go, and it was three all. But that was like the Warnock effect. Yeah, but I can remember also being off cutting that stand, going campy, campy. What's the score? So we've all got yeah. different memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a few memories of Smiley when the final whistle went. But, um, that yeah, was but incredible, that... wasn't it? Was it Matt Derbyshire equalised? Yeah, I think Leon Best and Matt Derbyshire yeah, yeah, scored yeah. the goal. I remember that. Was... Yeah, that was incredible. But that was like the, like the first game. It was like we played Birmingham and we had Chris Burke on loan from yeah. Forest and he'd, he'd obviously had four or five years at Birmingham and we had and he'd set his team up and he'd named his, named his team the day before, been through everything. Again, I know like I was a bit tongue and cheek when I said, like, get, get the big lads in the wall and who's got a long throw. But he was meticulous in what he did. Yeah. Um, and he picked his team, we'd done the shape, he told us what, like, what we was doing and he'd come in and he like, did his meeting and he changed the team, and he went. Oh, I've just, I've got to, I've got to play Berkey. Like Grant Ward, he was playing. I'm really sorry, Grant. Um, it's not personal, but I've got to play Berkey. I've had a dream last night. Berkey used to play against Birmingham. He's going to score today. I can see this happening. He's got to play. I can't not play him. And he changed the team, and we ended up drawing nil nil. Berkey didn't score this wonder goal that he dreamt about. <laughs> But you could see straight away he wasn't scared and he was pretty ruthless and he put a marker down that, like, he's going to do it his way. Yeah, no one's and safe. I, yeah, and I'm going this way, so you're either on the bus with me or you're not. Yeah. And in the end, after about 10 days, he sort of got his group together and then he got the ones that he wasn't going to use, so to speak, and they was away from the squad and he just kept his little... He's um, 20... 22 players together and that was the nucleus of the side that went through and um, he was brilliant just like away like I remember speaking to him one-on-one about things because it's been documented but like Sharon had cancer and I'd spoke to him about a couple of things obviously going back to like my mum and stuff like that and and, um, he just brilliant just brilliant what are you like he's a bit like Billy in the sense that when you hear him on talk sport and he comes out of these stories you probably get a certain perception and, and thing of him. And like Billy, you hear him in the pet, like news, oh, we've got to do this and the owner that and all that. But it's almost like that's that. That's that persona there. But they're actually, when you get on a human level, especially with with like Neil, what a guy. Like he's brilliant. This, I love this, him to bits. Absolutely love him to bits. There's an element of that with good managers, though, that they come out with these outlandish things to take the pressure off the lads. So if yeah. they come out and it's everyone's going, oh, Neil Warnock's here, Billy Davis is that. I, I remember when that game got, the Derby game that got called off against um, Cardiff. Um, you remember when it was like snowing and it was yeah. all, yeah. When it didn't snow. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah the, big, <laughs> the game got called off for snow when it didn't snow. Was that when Derby had six injuries? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that controversial, was it? Yeah, and then Derby, and then Derby, won, Derby won the rearrange 1-3-1 and got in the playoffs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which I got my Cardiff City hat on then. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I remember the game. Um, so I was working at Radio Derby at the time, and obviously putting a show together, you like you go for like the massive. Like the, you have like right, we've got to do something on the breakfast show tomorrow. What what like what's number one? I tell you what. What about Neil Warnock? So we got all of his number, and I rang him up on the Sunday. And I tell you what, mate, I had this perception of him, and he was absolutely sound with me. I'll come on. I'll come on tomorrow and talk to you. Can you do it live at half past? I'll come on live at half past seven tomorrow morning. I'll talk. Yeah. To, moaning to me. I just spoke to the ref, Blake. <laughs> Nothing to do with me, Neil, mate. I just wanted to come on the radio, mate. I've just spoken to the ref. It's it's not, I've just spoken to the ref. It's no snow. <laughs> well, 
that there you go. See, he's brilliant. Honestly, what what he done for me in terms of the injury, and obviously playing under him, brilliant. What a guy! Like I love him to bits. I can't speak highly of him. And if he is finished and he and he does retire and he's going to spend more time with Sharon and and that, then um, good luck to him. And I, I wish him all the health and happiness for a long, long time. But the game will miss him. Yeah, the it game will, will miss him because he's. Um, Hell of a character. Well, like we said earlier, Lee, with the Derby lads, even that's what fit nearly 15 years ago, isn't it? But um, them characters are rare now, and they they should be cherished. Well, yeah, they, they are. Unfortunately, they are going out of the game. I mean, he he's a completely different generation to to everyone because I, I think I think he's 71, is he now, Neil? So, I mean, he what he hasn't seen, hasn't experienced, probably twice over in the game is not worth knowing do you know what I mean it's he's good he's good I had chats with him when I was leaving Cardiff that summer I remember having spoke to him about management and certain things and passed on a few things and he always said like just call me whenever you need me and things like that but he doesn't have to do that he doesn't have to pass on that knowledge or doesn't have to make you think about something in that way he's like well what about this how would you look at it this way he's like oh, actually yeah that's a good point and mate, you know, so he, he doesn't have to do that. And like, he doesn't have to answer the phone to you. You could leave him a message. He didn't, he could just fob it off and go, oh, I'm not doing that. But no, he does. And I think he appreciates as much as anyone that people give a lot to him and he has to get, and he gives a lot back to them. So it'll be a shame if, if that character's out because he is quite a character, let me tell you. Wow. Um, I wanted the, the two questions I wanted to ask you were I wanted to know who's the best player you've ever played with. I know these are kind of like it's thing, but these are the questions that people love to hear because I'd I'd oh, be interested to know who's like, technically best player. We you can, oh God, so many. Well, when I mentioned Stefano Rano last week, yeah, Craig Bryson battered me. So. Did he? Ah. <laughs> uh, that's a story. Well, he's he's oh. pied me up. I've just messaged him on Instagram the other day saying we come on the podcast. He's absolutely pied yeah, me up. Yeah, of course he would. Yeah, he's back in Scotland now. He's back up there. He's giving it massive. Oh, don't. He won't want to know anybody with Derby now after he sent that. <laughs> don't start me with him. He battered me last week. That's what, um, we'll come back to that. The best player. <laughs> we'll come back to Bryce. I'm talking about the best player. Yeah, don't worry. I'll have a rant about Bryce in a minute. We'll talk. <laughs> Needless to say, Bryce, you ain't the best player, so you can wait your turn. Um, oh, goodness. Probably... I don't know. I, 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 King Clapty, unbelievable. When yeah. I was a kid at Derby. He, the low centre of gravity, you know, he'd get one-on-one -on -one with you and he'd chat. Dink! He'd dink you. He'd dink you. Sit you down and dink you. And then walk off smiling. Um, I think that's pretty good when you can call it, make it happen, and then do it. Yeah. You know, I sometimes shout on your chest and smash it over people's heads from forty yards away. So I can't do that. <laughs> I um, um I, I can remember watching. They used to have these beanbags at Pride Park in the early days of like satellite, where you'd be able to like yeah. sit in a concourse and watch the game, and it was bolting away. And I can remember King Clancy doing about 12 kick-ups in the centre circle and everyone going, hey, 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 and doing these kick-ups like, in the middle of a Premier League game. He's in the, he's in the centre circle, chest it down, he's doing kick-ups. Yeah. He, he could play on his own. Yeah. He, he could have a ball to himself. Like, if he were doing 
small-sided games. He could. He just hoped he was on Kinky's side. Um, he, he was just something, something special. The best player I played with. God, oh goodness me. Inigo was special. Inigo was a special player. Really good footballer. Um, I don't know. I wish you'd have asked me. I wish you'd have told, asked me this before, so I could think about it. Dead air now. Um, <laughs> Dead air. Great. Yeah, that's great radio terminology. Make a media. media. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've played with so many. I feel like if I say one person. I'm leaving somebody out. I'll feel bad. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Lee. I've lost interest in the question. I want to hear your Bryson rant. Right, we'll go on to Bryson. So, obviously, I mentioned last week about Stefano that, obviously, he played head tennis with the sole of his feet. Yes. It wasn't as if he played with... What he'd do, he'd control it with his chest to flick it up on his shoulder, and then out of nowhere, he'd, like, go to volley it, but he wouldn't. He'd, like, sole it, or he'd... Instead of a back heel, he'd... He'd sole it with his yeah, foot. Yeah, I can, I can like, picture it, yeah. You can picture it. So it wasn't... So I get a WhatsApp <laughs> and I get a picture of um, <laughs> your banner, whatever, it, you know, your banner, taught Derby, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, And it says underneath, pathetic. And I was like... <laughs> because during lockdown, we've been going back and forth over a few things, like with like the Watt bike and goes with that everything's been going on. But that, anyway, but so... It wasn't a surprise that he messaged me. So I'm thinking... That's very busy from him, though, isn't it? Oh, oh, super busy. We'll get that in. But but for his super busyness, I love him. So I'm not going to knock him on it, but it is busy. So he's typing. So I'm thinking, I'm not going to reply. What's next? And he's like, Stefano... Oh, he's put... I don't know if he put Stefano or Soul of Their Feet. Pathetic. (laughs) And I'm... And I put... And I'm just like, and he's still typing. And I thought, he's chuttering here. He's chuttering. And then he put some, I can't remember, then he put Red Dog. And I'm like, still oh, typing. Oh, wow, wow. He's still typing. Uh, and then he, what did he put? I won't know. He put an explicit. I won't repeat what he put. Right? <laughs> it's not a very nice word. So he didn't, he didn't, he's still <laughs> Right, and I could just see him. I could see him having a, a, a rant because I've sat in Starbucks with him and he's had these rants with me. So I can see, like, he'll be fuming. So I've left it and it says online. So I've just text back, like, all right, mate. <laughs> and he's, 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 like, just all right. Then he's like, yeah, how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. How are you? I was like, training. And he's like, yeah, yeah just um, whatever. So I said, oh, like, do you want to come in on the bike club on? Saturday morning or whatever. No, mate. And then he just, it's just like a normal conversation. <laughs> he got it off his chest. He's absolutely abused me. And then, like, called me a red dog, called me a, like, a terrible word. I'm not, and then it's just like, but, and that's mine and Bryce's relationship. Like, it, from me, because I, I didn't know him. Obviously, I know him when he, I played against him, but I didn't know him to speak to. Mm. And uh, he's obviously come to Cardiff on loan. And, um, this is a this is a pretty good story, <clears throat> although I'm going to get the name wrong, so I'm not even going to attempt the gentleman's name because I can't think of it, and it's been racking my brains for the last couple of days because I thought if this comes up, I wanted to say the right <laughs> name. So <clears throat> he played, he come in, and um, he was sat in the corner, and I went over and like shook his hand and said, "Ah, oh, nice to meet you, welcome, everything," and we he just sort of smiled at me. 
and I sort of smiled at him and he just went, effing red dog. Did he? <laughs> or something, something like that, right? So I smiled and I called him a, a sheep. Yeah. And he went, so are you? I went, never mate, I'm United. <laughs> I went, yeah, so what of it? And he went, nothing. I went, all right then. <laughs> and we just, and, but it, it was weird. And I, I walked off going, we're going to be pretty good mates. Yeah. Like, we're going to be all right. And um, to be fair, there was like, he knew Callum Patterson. And I was doing my rehab at the time with Callum Patterson. Um, so we sort of knocked about, but what a guy. I love him. What a guy. Brilliant. Just abuses me all the time. But uh, I give it him back because, like, when he left last summer and he put that thing up saying, um, like, thanks to the fans and everything and all that, and he put, like, something... Did he put hashtag number four or something at the end or something? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I messaged him and went, hashtag number four. Pathetic. <laughs> so I've given it... So it's, that's the sort of relationship, but we had some good chats and, um, no, he's a good guy, Bryce, like, really good yeah, guy. Yeah, he's... Son, and I, I really want him to come on and I've messaged him, he's seen it and not replied to me, so... Uh, he won't, yeah, he's big time, mate. Big, big time. time. I've got his He'll number. Too but, busy on his what bike. <laughs> I've got his number, but I, I I can't tell him who gave it me, so I can't actually message him because I know he'll be straight back with who's gave you my number. <laughs> yeah, I'll message him and he'll, I'll I'll get some expletives, but then he'll probably he'll, like he'll give you an answer one way than that. Great guy, like great guy. He um I met him a couple of times in Derby last year for a coffee and brilliant guy. But the story I was telling you about the the uh, his mate from Derby. Yeah. Um, is the liaison officer at the club. Yeah. And uh, he was he come down to see Bryce for the weekend. So uh, Craig was injured. So we was in Saturday morning doing our, like, doing our work. And I'd come out of the shower and he was getting changed, whatever. And his mate was sat in the corner. And I just went, hi, mate, you're right. He went, hi, mate, how are you doing? All right. Anyway, so they're talking. So I'm getting, and, and we, we just sat across away from each other. So I'm getting like ready. And he's like, all I hear is, say it to him then. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I looked up and went, what? And he's talking to his mate. And I went, oh, must be... Because t- his mate was on his phone. So I just assumed that I'd missed something. And carried on. Say it to him then. <laughs> i look here. What's up with you? And he went... And his, uh, his mate looked up and went, what are you on about? He went... Say it to Campy's face then. <laughs> you got and his mate was like, uh, 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 I'm only joking. He said, I was like, don't worry about it. And he's poor, but I can't think of. I had a coffee with him, and I can't even think of his name. Like it's terrible. Um, Bryce never calls him by his name though. He always calls him an expletive. So I can't <laughs> say that. Again There's a bit of a theme here with Bryce and these nicknames for people. But what a guy! Like it was. That's Bryce's sense of humour. Like, and we had a coffee, and he's brilliant so but he'll come on the show now I've been on he'll want to upstage me so he'll, he'll come on I might message him after this and say campus is absolutely hammered you mate you've got the right reply if you want he'll probably give me a few expletives <laughs> yeah he gets frustrated because I'm better on the what bike than him it's because my engine's better than his that, there's engine. my there's my invitation uh, Lee Camp <laughs> says he absolutely batters you on the what bike feel free yeah. to feel free to come on in fight your corner well if you believe that you'll believe anything <laughs> There's one thing for sure, Lee Camp will never outstamp, will ever have better stamina than Craig Bryson. That is an absolute certainty. There's not many people either, even I know, that would ever go anywhere near Craig Bryson. What an absolute machine. 
Well, I think I think his first game or his second game or something at Cardiff, I think he broke like a record. Yeah, yeah yardage like, covered or something. Yeah, high yeah. intensity yardage in some like a Cardiff record or a championship. There was a record he, he blew out of the water or something. It was like, and it was by miles. It was with yeah. easy machine. Yeah, like, ridiculous. That was a signing of the season. That was the best signing Cardiff made that year. It was unfortunate. I, well, I'd said that at the time, like, I thought that'd be the best signings. Unfortunately, he had his injuries, but he played a massive part for Cardiff that year. He was when he played, he was brilliant. Which I mean, don't have to say that to the like Derby fans or anybody. Oh, mate, legend right here, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. All right, that's, that's incredible. I've got some. We'll that. finish. Should we finish on Bryce? That's as yeah. That's that's as good as it's going to get. And I've got some bullets for him now, mate. So I can <laughs> try and tempt him into coming on. But oh, Campy, mate, I can't express enough about signing a bit weird how much I appreciate because that's incredible mate another incredible podcast you give up another two odd hours nearly two hours of your time for us and we mate, really appreciate no it fun. man no no anytime I, I appreciate um, you wanting to speak to me it's um, it's good it's enjoyable and like I said to you before if there's anything I can ever do to help you you know that so um, maybe be a part three. Oh, mate Let's, uh, Listen, I could talk with the best of him, but part three, I'm running out of stuff now because my life, my life ain't that exciting. I ain't got many more stories. You've well, had about the best of what you've got. Your cousin, so. your cousin texted me 22 minutes ago and said, "How did it go, mate?" I said, "We're still going." He put, "Mate, you can't shut up." <laughs> That's 22 minutes ago. That's very rich coming from him. I, I know. know exactly which cousin it is, and that's very rich. <laughs> I'll tell you a story about my cousin before I go. Right. So <clears throat> when he was. 18, 17, 18 and 19, I went to Vegas for the first time. Obviously, if you've been to Vegas, it's amazing. It is what it is. So he gets back, what's Vegas like? So I told him, oh, I need to go, I need to go. We take me when I'm 21. I'm like, don't really need me to go to Vegas, but anyway. So take him, time of his life. Brilliant. Comes back again, doesn't shut up, right? Oh, I've heard a few so, Vegas stories. Oh, <laughs> Still now, five years since it, it, we last went together, and oh, we had to put him on a talking ban. He was on a talking ban. What, when he was in Vegas? Yeah. My best friend, an unnamed former Forest player, right, was Vegas, and we shared like a, we had like a, a room. So all I heard one morning was, Mark, shut up, you're on a talking ban. I'll, I'll give Mark away now. It's Mark, my cousin Mark. I can't even get away. The, the player will, will remain unnamed. I know who it is, I think. <laughs> yeah, you probably will. And uh, then in classic Mark fashion, he sort of stutters. Talking ban. Talking ban. Right? So I was like, we can't leave him on a talking ban. Like, it's, it's a bit too cruel. So we put him on a limit. You're on a limiter. Before you speak, you've got to use the least amount of words possible to answer the question and you cannot go on a tantrum you've got to answer the question don't talk about well you know when i was at band camp and you know it's, it's like the minimal <laughs> right okay yeah 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 great didn't didn't last didn't last talking band went out the window when he got bored of not talking and he used a million words to answer a question so to say I can talk is an understatement if you've been around my cousin. Mate, uh, like I said before, I'd known from going to Derby games and both being amateur goalkeepers, 
he can be 15 rows in front of me and turn around, gesticulate and go, Blake, Blake, he's got to be coming for that, hasn't he? He's got to be coming for... And, and I'll have a conversation with him. <laughs> he's half a block away and I'll have a conversation with him about, like, the goalkeeper not coming out. Oh, oh I've got to do better there. Got to do better there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bless he's him. I love him to death, though. He's brilliant. No, they're good. He, all my cousins are good. Like, they're all good fun. But Mark is... Mark's Mark. Yeah. He'll be buzzing now. Now he's got a mention, he will be buzzing. This will be clipped off on our Instagram. Thanks for having me talk to the podcast. Uh, my first yeah, yeah. appearance. <laughs> yeah, my first, my first public appearance. My coming out appearance. Like. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. No, Blake, I've enjoyed it, mate. And um, you know where I am. Nice one. I appreciate it, mate. And um, like, like we said before, you can never have enough contact. So I'll probably end up annoying you with a message at some point as I try and make my way through uh, being a sports journalist. Just just use a spleetive. Start with red dog and then <laughs> using it spleetive and then talk normal. Just do what Bryce does. It's been two of the best podcasts I've ever listened to apart from anything. So respect, mate. We really appreciate it, man. No, anytime, mate. You know that. Nice one. Cheers, Campy. Cheers, mate.